0: Will pray with me? Come, Holy Spirit, and fill the hearts of these, your faithful, and kindle within us the fire of your love. And may my words and our hearts together glorify you, O oh God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. You know, I'm, I've helped with a couple of preaching classes now at Perkins School of Theology. And one of the things one of the preaching professors talks about is that, we don't tend to remember points anymore. We remember stories. And so, this in this season of August, when we are starting this new sermon series, um, I thought it would be good for us to tell our stories. Tell have different people tell their story of faith when they knew that God loved them and that they loved God and why they're a part of our because we'll remember those stories just because they're stories. I think it's also important that we tell our story, the story, the central story of our faith that is shown to us in Jesus, the man of Nazareth, the teachings of Jesus, the stories Jesus told. These are all an important part of our journey, and right now we're in this Season of ordinary time, and we have a chance to hear the ordinary stories of ordinary people like you and me and their encounters with Jesus and how it changed them and how it changes us. We get a chance to discover the sacred and the ordinary. Of course, I think we could say right now that there's nothing ordinary about our lives right now, about our world. Nothing ordinary in the world, nothing. Ordinary in our nation, nothing ordinary in our state, nothing ordinary in our cities, our neighborhoods, in our families. Everything seems and feels like it's out of the ordinary. I don't have to list off all of that for you. You can list it for me. You know the crises that we're in the middle of, you know how they are made, being made manifest through news reports and events in our streets and in our hospitals and in our schools. And yet, what is really interesting to me is as ordinary, as extraordinary as all of this is, there is a part of our lives that is very ordinary. I had a friend call me yesterday and we talked for quite a while. We hadn't talked in probably a couple of months. And, you know, when we first got on the phone, I said, well, how are you doing? And he said, oh, about the same. And he said, well, how are you doing? And I said, oh, well, about the same. And we laughed. And we talked about that with all of this mayhem going on in our world, our day-to-day lives are pretty ordinary. We don't get out much, or maybe a little more than we used to. We don't do much, and we do it all in a confined space, and when we do go out, we wear masks, and some wear face shields. And if you're like me, you've discovered that you can do about one big thing a day, and sometimes, that's just making the bed. You know, but you can do about one thing, and then you're exhausted. And it is all this extraordinary mayhem that is going on out here that causes our ordinariness in our sheltered space to be debilitating and draining. You no, know, the crowd that followed Jesus on foot to the other side of the lake, they were living ordinary lives and yet They, too, were living in extraordinary mayhem. They were living in a world occupied by a Roman army, a world governed by the powerful religious elite of their day who conspired with the Roman authorities to keep them in poverty. They dealt with death daily because of this, people dying of hunger or being slaughtered by their oppressors. Oppression was the word of the day. And so when Jesus retreats from the crowd after a time of teaching and healing and goes to a deserted place, they follow. They follow him on foot because they are desperately poor. They are desperately hungry. They are desperate for hope. And no doubt, in this moment of the scriptures, in this moment of their lives, they are hungry. And they are worn out by today's events. They had witnessed the healing, surely, and that was exhilarating. But now they're in a deserted place. And, you know, it's the end of the day, and now it's getting time for them to eat, but There are so many of them that they would have to go into the villages. The disciples tell Jesus they will have to go into the villages, note the plural, because there are so many of them. If they went to the first village, the first village couldn't contain them and help them. And so some of them would have to go to the second village and the third village and perhaps the fourth and even the fifth village because there were so many of them. They might not have the stamina to get there, and even if they did, they likely wouldn't have the money to buy any food. The situation is dire, and as the day comes to a close, the crowds of followers surely appear to the disciples to be more like an angry mob. We know about angry mobs, don't we? We've seen angry mobs, those we support and those we don't. Some... Angry mobs like the people of Jesus' day were angry because it was a justice issue, that they were poor and oppressed and hungry. We know about angry mobs because we know about people who are desperate to be seen, to be known, to be heard, to be equal, to be respected. And Jesus turns to the disciples and gives them this gospel impulse, this directive saying, you give them something to eat. And I can just imagine the disciples looking around at this angry mob and and saying to Jesus, we have nothing, five loaves, two fish. don't say, well, we've got five loaves of bread and two fish. They don't say, well, let's see what we can do. Well, let's see what we can round up. They say, we have nothing but no possibility, no hope, no vision for what might be. And you and I know about this kind of scarcity vision, don't we? I mean, we're going into our sixth month of this new ordinary in which we're living. And in these difficult circumstances, isn't it just so much easier to concentrate on our liabilities, our deficiencies, our inadequacies, our scarcity? We have nothing here but. We do not have enough. Not enough not enough time not enough money not enough resources not enough energy and absolutely no hope but Jesus you see is never deterred by this never deterred by lack by scarcity Jesus always is in the possibility business because Jesus is always seeking to do God's will. And it is God's will that poor, hungry people get fed. And in that moment, without even knowing it, the disciples are given a new beginning. They are given a new beginning, empowered and entrusted with food to give to the people, to the crowd to feed hungry people, to live into God's will that hungry people get fed. And it's just like Jesus. Jesus doesn't just heal the crowd by feeding them, but heals the disciples of their scarcity mentality. And the people who arrived sick and tired, feet hurting, stomachs growling, filled every last one of them. The story says five men besides women and children are fed and the miracle of all miracles, 12 basketfuls of leftovers and now the disciples have a greater challenge, what to do with the leftovers Jesus has taken the ordinary gifts of bread the ordinary gifts of fish and broken them open and transformed them into the feast of God I don't know if you saw the news report this week. There was a story about a woman calling 911. Can you hear it? The operator saying, 911, what is your emergency? The woman said, I'm hungry. I have no food. Can you tell me where I can get some food? That was her emergency. And the 911 operator and the other operators that she worked with went out and bought food and took it to the woman's home and filled up her pantry. You feed them, Jesus says. And in that moment, those operators discovered their new beginning doing the will of God, their new lack of scarcity, move beyond it to a new beginning. And, And Jesus takes the bread and blesses it and breaks it and gives it. Take and eat, Jesus says, and let your simple bread be me. Jesus said, don't let a single thing in your life, however ordinary, however ordinary a thing it is, remain so. Untouched by the new life that you have in me. Don't think for a moment that it is an ordinary thing because there are no ordinary things anymore. Let your eternal life be transformed in this life so that the two, the eternal and the now, become one. In our first reading from the First Testament this morning, we heard Reverend James Coley read from the book of the prophets you know, this, these passages that were read this morning are some of the most powerful in all of scripture because they speak to our exact situation. You see, things haven't gone well for the people of Israel during this time. Um, they are overrun by the Egyptians, and the Egyptians kill their king, who was a reformer, and they put his son on a throne, who becomes a puppet, and then the Babylonians overthrow the Egyptians, and they put the second son on the throne to be their puppet. It's bad. The people of Israel are always being oppressed. And so they cry out to God and say, Oh Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not listen? Do you understand that? Do you understand that cry? How long shall I cry out for help and you will not listen? Sound familiar? And then the prophet has a change of heart. And says, Then the prophet says, Still, I will stand at my watchpost and station myself on the rampart. I will keep watch to see what you will say to me and what you will answer concerning my complaint. Because you see, that prophet knows that God is listening to the complaint. And then God responds, saying, make it plain on tablets. Write the vision so that a runner may read it. For there is still a vision for the appointed time. It speaks of the end and does not lie. If it seems to tarry, it will surely come. Wait for it. It will not delay. And what do you think that vision? What do you think the vision that the prophet Habakkuk is supposed to write as he stands on the rampart and waits? It is that those who are righteous and live faithfully in God will live out God's deepest desire for all people to live in shalom, in righteousness and justice and peace. This is God's vision. And I remind you that Jesus was a rabbi of Nazareth, and he knew this text, and he studied this text, and he becomes the embodiment of this text, because Jesus, too, knows that God is listening, and Jesus becomes righteousness, and Jesus becomes faithfulness for us. And so Jesus enacts God's will, that the hungry people are fed, that scarcity is transformed into abundance that the people, including the disciples, are transformed, and that that moment, in that moment, life and eternity meet. What is true for them is true for us. You know, many of us worry today about our world and what's going on, but in one of his devotionals this week, um, Father Richard Rohr reminded us about the Vietnamese boat people. You know, the Vietnamese boat people still exist, and they are people seeking a new life and a new freedom. And so they all crowd into a boat and try to cross the Gulf of Siam. And often there are storms, and the boats get tossed to and fro, and sometimes the boats sink. But um, what they've come to learn is that if one person in the boat will remain calm, We'll watch for the shore. will help to calm the people that can survive the crossing. And this is what we need right now. We need people who will stand and watch, who will write the vision of God, who will speak the vision of God and be the embodiment of the vision of God that hungry people get fed and that righteous people bring in season of justice and peace. We need people who will remain calm, who will cast that vision and show others the way to stand, to watch, to be calm, to write the vision so that even runners This is our story. This is our song. To be the calm in the storm when our world breaks open. And lest you forget, I remind you that Jesus could have never shared the bread unless it was broken. This is the good news of God. For you, Thanks, Peter.